Being the best in the world is seriously underrated. There are moments when you feel like giving up. If you're the kind of high-achieving, goal-oriented person who finds herself reading a book like this, you're probably used to running into obstacles. Professional obstacles, personal obstacles, even obstacles related to personal fitness, or winning board games. Most of the time, we deal with the obstacles by persevering. Sometimes we get discouraged and turn to institutional writing, like stuff from Vince Lombardi, quitters never win, and winners never quit, bad advice. Winners quit all the time. They just quit the right stuff at the right time. Most people quit. They just don't quit successfully. In fact, many professions and many marketplaces pro-quitters society assume you're going to quit. In fact, businesses and organizations count on it. If you learn about the systems that have been put in place that encourage quitting, you'll be more likely to beat them. And once you understand the common sinkhole that trips up so many people, what the author calls the dip, you'll be one step closer to getting through it. Extraordinary benefits accrue to the tiny minority of people who are able to push just a tiny bit longer than most. Extraordinary benefits also accrue to the tiny majority with the guts to quit early and refocus their efforts on something new. In both cases, it's about being the best in the world. About getting through the hard stuff and coming out on the other side. Our culture celebrates superstars. We reward the product or the song or the organization or the employee that is number one. The rewards are heavily skewed, so much so that it's typical for number one to get ten times the benefit of number ten, and a hundred times the benefit of number one hundred. Why being number one matter? People don't have a lot of time and don't want to take a lot of risks. If you've been diagnosed with cancer of the navel, you're not going to mess around by going to a lot of doctors. You're going to head straight for the top guy, the person who's ranked the best in the world. Why screw around if you get only one chance? You're not the only person who looks for the best choice. Everyone does. As a result, the rewards for being first are enormous. It's not a linear scale. It's not a matter of getting a little more after giving a little more. It's a curve and a steep one. Anyone who is going to hire you, buy from you, recommend you, vote for you, or do what you want them to do is going to wonder if you're the best choice. Best is in, best for them, right now, based on what they believe and what they know. And in the world is in, their world, the world they have access to. Best is subjective. The consumer gets to decide, not you. It's the consumer's definition, not yours. It's the world he defines, based on his convenience or his preferences. Be the best in the consumer's world, and you have him, at a premium, right now. The world is getting larger because the consumer can now look everywhere when he wants to find something, or someone. That means that the amount of variety is staggering, and it means he can define his world to be exactly what he has an interest in and find preferences anywhere on the planet. So, while it's more important than ever to be the best in the world, it's also easier if you pick the right thing and do it all the way. The biggest mistake they made in school. Just about everything you learned in school about life is wrong, but the wrongest thing might very well be this, being well-rounded is the secret to success. Think about the decisions you make today, about which doctor to pick, which restaurant to visit, or which accountant to hire. How often do you look for someone who is actually quite good at the things you don't need her to do? How often do you hope that your accountant is a safe driver and a decent golfer? In a free market, the exceptional is rewarded. In school, we tell kids that once something gets too hard, move on, and focus on the next thing. The low-hanging fruit is there to be taken, no sense wasting time climbing the tree. 
From a test-taking book, skim through the questions and answer the easiest ones first, skipping ones you don't know immediately. Bad advice. Superstars can't skip the ones they don't know. In fact, the people who are the best in the world specialize in getting really good at the questions they don't know. The people who skip the hard questions are in the majority, but they are not in demand. Most people will tell you that you need to persevere, to try harder, put in more hours, get more training, and work hard. Don't quit, they implore. But if all you need to do to succeed is not quit, then why do organizations less motivated than yours succeed? Why do individuals less talented than you win? The people who are the best in the world specialize at getting really good at the questions they don't know. It involves understanding the architecture of quitting, and, believe it or not, it means quitting a lot more than you do now. Strategic quitting is the secret of successful organizations. Reactive quitting and serial quitting is the bane of those that strive and fail to get what they want. And most people do just that. They quit when it's painful and stick when they can't be bothered to quit. There are two curves that define almost any type of situation facing you as you try to accomplish something. Curve 1, the dip. Almost everything in life worth doing is controlled by the dip. In the beginning, when you first start something, it's fun. You could be taking up golf or acupuncture or piloting a plane or doing chemistry, it doesn't matter, it's interesting, and you get plenty of good feedback from the people around you. Over the next few days and weeks, the rapid learning you experience keeps you going. Whatever your new thing is, it's easy to stay engaged in it. And then the dip happens. The dip is the long slog between starting and mastery. A long slog that's actually a shortcut, because it gets you where you want to go faster than any other path. The dip is the combination of bureaucracy and busywork you must deal with in order to get certified in scuba diving. The dip is the difference between the easy beginner technique and the mere useful expert approach in skiing or fashion design. The dip is the long stretch between beginner's luck and real accomplishment. The dip is the set of artificial screens set up to keep people like you out. Curve 2, the cul-de-sac. The cul-de-sac French for dead end is a situation where you work, and you work, and you work and nothing much changes. It doesn't get a lot better, it doesn't get a lot worse. It just does. That's why they call those jobs dead end jobs. There's not a lot to say about the cul-de-sac except to realize that it exists and to embrace the fact that when you find one, you need to get off it, fast. That's because a dead end is keeping you from doing something else. The opportunity cost of investing your life in something that's not going to get better is just too high. Curve 3, the cliff, rare but scary. Cigarettes, it turns out, were redesigned by scientists to be particularly addictive. Smoking is designed to be almost impossible to quit, the longer you do it, the better it feels to continue smoking. The pain of quitting just gets bigger and bigger over time. The author calls this curve a cliff. It is a situation where you can't quit until you fall off, and the whole thing falls apart. It's no wonder that people have trouble stopping. The people who set out to make it, who power through the dip are the ones who become the best in the world. If you haven't already realized it, the dip is the secret to your success. The people who set out to make it through the dip, the people who invest the time and the energy and the effort to power through the dip, those are the ones who become the best in the world. They are breaking the system because, instead of moving on to the next tiling, instead of doing slightly above average and settling for what they've got, they embrace the challenge. For whatever reason, they refuse to abandon the quest, and they push through the dip all the way to the next level. Snowboarding is a hip sport. It's fast, exciting, and reasonably priced, and it makes you look very cool. 
So why are there so few snowboarders? Because learning basic skills constitutes a painful dip. It takes a few days to get the hang of it, and, during those few days, you'll get pretty banged up. It's easier to quit than it is to keep going. The brave thing to do is to tough it out and end up on the other side, getting all the benefits that come from scarcity. The brave thing is not even to bother starting to snowboard because you're probably not going to make it through the dip. And the stupid thing to do is to start, give it your best shot, waste a lot of time and money, and quit right in the middle of the dip. A few people will choose to do the brave thing and end up the best in the world. Informed people will probably choose to do the mature thing and save their resources for a project they're truly passionate about. Both are fine choices. It's the last choice, the common choice, the choice to give it a shot, and then quit that you must avoid if you want to succeed. A woodpecker can tap 20 times on a thousand trees and get nowhere, but stay busy. Or he can tap 20,000 times on one tree and get dinner. The lie of diversification, what woodpeckers know. When faced with the dip, many individuals and organizations diversify. If you can't get to the next level, the thinking goes, invest your energy in learning to do something else. This leads to record labels with thousands of artists instead of focused promotion for just a few. It leads to job seekers who can demonstrate competency at a dozen tasks instead of mastery of just one. Hardworking, motivated people find diversification a natural outlet for their energy and drive. Diversification feels like the right thing to do. Enter a new market, apply for a job in a new area, start a new sport. Who knows? This might just be the one. And yet the real success goes to those who obsess. The focus that leads you through the dip to the other side is rewarded by a marketplace in search of the best in the world. A woodpecker can tap 20 times on a thousand trees and get nowhere, but stay busy. Or he can tap 20,000 times on one tree and get dinner. Before you enter a new market, consider what would happen if you managed to get through the dip and win in the market, you're already in. Superstar get what they want because they have unique skills. Superstars command far more than their fair share of income, respect, and opportunity because there are very few other choices for a customer or an employer seeking the extraordinary. A superstar real estate agent gets five or ten times the number of listings as an ordinary one. A superstar lawyer has all the work she can handle, regardless of her specialty. A superstar musician commands a thousand rhymes tile income per performance as an average musician. A superstar is the best in the world at what she does. If you want to be a superstar, then you need to find a field with a steep dip, a barrier between those who try and those who succeed. And you've got to get through that dip to the other side. This isn't for everyone. If it were, there'd be no superstars. If you choose this path, it's because you realize that there's a dip, and you believe you can get through it. The dip is actually your greatest ally because it makes a project worthwhile and keeps others from competing with you. But wait, that's not enough. Not only do you need to find a dip that you can conquer, but you also need to quit all the quidisacs that you're currently idling your way through. You must quit the projects and investments and endeavors that don't offer you the same opportunity. It's difficult, but it's vitally important. Being better than 98% of the competition used to be fine. In the world of Google, though, it's useless. It's useless because all of your competition is just one click away. Whatever it is you do. The only position you can count on now is the best in the world. 7 reasons you might fail to become the best in the world. 1. You run out of time and quit. 2. You run out of money and quit. 3. You get scared and quit. 4. You're not serious about it and quit. 5. 
you lose interest or enthusiasm or settle for being mediocre and quit six. You focus on the short term instead of the long and quit when the short term gets too hard seven. You pick the wrong thing at which to be the best in the world because you don't have the talent. By you, the author means your team, your company, or just plain you, the job seeker, the employee, or the entrepreneur. The important thing to remember about these seven things is that you can plan for them. You can know before you start whether or not you have the resources and the will to get to the end. Most of the time, if you fail to become the best in the world, it's either because you planned wrong or because you gave up before you reached your goal. Eight dip curves where organizations and individuals are most likely to give up. Here are a bunch of systems that are dependent on dips. These dips are in places where organizations and individuals are most likely to give up. If you see these dips coming, you're more likely to make a choice. You can choose, in advance, to do whatever you need to do in order to get through the dip, knowing it's going to be difficult, or you can give up before you get there. Quitting in the dip, though, isn't worth the journey. Manufacturing dip, it's easy and fun to start building something in your garage. It's difficult and expensive to buy an injection mold, design an integrated circuit, or ramp up for large-scale production. The time and effort and cost of ramping up your operation create the dip. The dip keeps the supply of stuff down and insulates those brave enough to invest in scaling up their production. Those struggling artists at the local craft fair are struggling because they don't have the guts or the wherewithal to take their work to the next level. Sales dip. Most ideas get their start when one person starts selling it. Selling the idea to stores or to businesses or to consumers or even to voters. But the dip hit when you need to upgrade to a professional sales force and scale it up. In almost every field, the competitor that's first with a big, aggressive sales force has a huge advantage. Education dip, a career gets started as soon as you leave school. But the dip often hits when it's time to go learn something new, to reinvent or rebuild your skills. A doctor who sacrifices a year of her life for a specialty reaps the rewards for decades afterward. Risk dip, bootstrappers learn the hard way that at some point, they can't pay for it all themselves, especially out of current income. It takes a risk to rent a bigger space or invest in new techniques. Successful entrepreneurs understand the difference between investing in getting through the dip, a smart move, or investing in something that's actually a risk crapshoot. Relationship dip, there are people and organizations that can help you later, but only if you invest the time and effort to work with them now, even though now is not necessarily the easy time for you to do it. Conceptual dip, you got this far operating under one set of assumptions. Abandoning those assumptions and embracing a new, bigger set may be exactly what you need to do to get to the next level. The heroes who have reinvented institutions and industries everyone from Martin Luther King Jr., to Richard Branson, from Zelma Watson George to Jacqueline Novogratz all did it in exactly the same way by working through a conceptual dip all the way to the other side. Ego dip, when it's all about you, it's easier. Giving up control and leaning into the organization gives you leverage. Most people can't do this, they can't give up control or the spotlight. They get stuck in that dip. Distribution dip, some retailers, local strip malls, the web, make it easy for your product to get distribution, while others, target, require an investment from your organization that may just pay off. Getting your product into Walmart is far more likely to lead to huge sales than putting it on the web. Why? Scarcity. Everyone is on the web, but getting into Walmart is hard. Average is for losers, it is the reason why only few people end up as the best in the world. Quitting at the right time is difficult. 
Most of us don't have the guts to quilt. Worse, when faced with the dip, sometimes we don't quit. Instead, we get mediocre. The most common response to the dip is to play it safe. To do ordinary work, blameless work, work that's beyond reproach. When faced with the dip, most people suck it up and try to average their way to success. Which is precisely why so few people end up as the best in the world. To be a superstar, you must do something exceptional. Not just survive the dip, but use the dip as an opportunity to create something extraordinary that people can't help but talk about it, recommend it, and, yes, choose it. The next time you catch yourself being average when you feel like quitting, realize that you have only two good choices, quit or be exceptional. Average is for losers. Salespeople who quit. A well-reported study, probably apocryphal, found that the typical salesperson gives up after the fifth contact with a prospect. After five times, the salesperson figures she's wasting her time and the prospects, quits, and moves on. Of course, the study reports that 80% of these customers buy on the seventh attempt to close the sale. If only the salesperson had stuck it out. Is it true that people need to be closed constantly, that seven is a magic number, and that the key to selling is to be aggressive? The author doesn't think so. He does not think the best salespeople are the ones who are always in your face, always asking for the order, always pushing. Selling is about a transference of emotion, not a presentation of facts. If it were just a presentation of facts, then a PDF flyer or a website would be sufficient to make the phone ring. Prospects, that's you if you've ever been sold something, are experts at sensing what's on the salesperson's mind. People have honed their salesperson radar, we're really good at detecting sincerity, or the lack of it. If a salesperson's attitude is, hey, if this person doesn't buy, there's someone right down the street, I can call on, what's projected is, hey, I'm not that serious about you having this product. On the other hand, if a salesperson is there for the long run, committed to making a sale because it benefits the other person, that signal is sent loud and clear. Please understand this, if you're not able to get through the dip in an exceptional way, you must quit. And quit right now. Because if your order book is 80% filled with prospects where you just sort of show up, you're not only wasting your time, you're also stealing your energy from the 20% of the calls where you have a chance to create a breakthrough. Getting through the dip is a valid strategy. It isn't a good strategy because successful salespeople are annoying, but sticking through the dip is a great strategy because it changes the entire dynamic of the salesperson's day. It is not a moral choice. It's a strategic one. Facing the dip. You may be sure that your product is the best in the world, but no one outside tiny group care at all. You're busy pushing your new idea wherever it can go. Meanwhile, most consumers could care less about your idea or those fancy high-heeled shoes or some cutting-edge type of glue. Instead, they wait. They wait for something to be standardized, tested, inexpensive, and ready for prime time. Hence the dip of market acceptance. The marketers that get rewarded are the ones who don't quit. They hunker down through the dip and galvanize and insulate and perfect their product while others keep looking for yet another quick hit. So, while one publisher runs from an author to author looking for an instant bestseller, another nurtures Dr. Seuss or Stephen King as he slowly builds an audience. While one non-profit run from a grantmaker to another grantmaker seeking funds for this project or that one, a successful non-profit stick with a consistent theme, showing up, paying its dues focusing on just a few foundations until the money comes through. It's okay to quit, sometimes, in fact, it's okay to quit often. You should quit if you're on a dead-end path. You should quit if you're facing a cliff.
You should quit if the project you're working on has a dip that isn't worth the reward at the end. Quitting the projects that don't go anywhere is essential if you want to stick out the right ones. The author advocates quitting, not giving up, and abandoning your long-term strategy wherever you might be using that strategy, a career, an income, a relationship, a sale, but quitting the tactics that aren't working. Getting off a cul-de-sac is not a moral failing. It's just smart. Seeing a cliff coming far in advance isn't a sign of weakness. Instead, it represents real insight and bravery. It frees up your energy for the dip. Quitting is not the same as failing. Strategic quitting is a conscious decision you make based on the choices that are available to you. If you realize you're at a dead end compared with what you could be investing in, quitting is not only a reasonable choice, it's a smart one. Failing, on the other hand, means that your dream is over. Failing happens when you give up, when there are no other options, or when you quit so often that you've used up all your time and resources. It's easy to wring your hands about becoming a failure. Quitting smart, though, is a great way to avoid failing. Coping is what people do when they try to muddle through. They cope with a bad job or a difficult task. The problem with coping is that it never leads to exceptional performance. All coping does is waste your time and misdirect your energy. If the best you can do is cope, you're better off quitting. Quitting is better than coping because quitting frees you up to excel at something else. Never quit is spectacularly bad advice. Wait a minute. Didn't that coach say quitting was a bad idea? Actually, quitting as a short-term strategy is a bad idea. Quitting for the long-term is an excellent idea. I think the advice giver meant to say, never quit something with great long-term potential just because you can't deal with the stress of the moment, now that's a piece of good advice. Three questions to ask before quitting. If you're thinking about quitting, or not quitting, then you've succeeded. Realizing that quitting is worth your focus and consideration is the first step to becoming the best in the world. The next step is to ask three questions. Question 1. Am I panicking? Quitting is not the same as panicking. Panic is never premeditated. Panic attacks us, it grabs us, it is in the moment. Quitting when you're panicked is dangerous and expensive. The best quitters are the ones who decide in advance when they're going to quit. You can always quit later, so wait until you're done panicking to decide. Question 2. Who am I trying to influence? Are you trying to succeed in a market? Get a job? Train a muscle? If you're considering quitting, it's almost certainly because you're not being successful at your current attempt at influence. If you have called on a prospect a dozen times without success, you're frustrated and considering giving up. If you've got a boss who just won't let up, you're considering quitting your job. And if you're a marketer with a product that doesn't seem to be catching on, you're wondering if you should abandon this product and try another. If you're trying to influence just one person, persistence has its limits, it's easy to cross the line between demonstrating your commitment and being a pest. If you haven't influenced him yet, it may very well be time to quit. Influencing one person is like scaling a wall. If you get over the wall, the first few tries, you're in. If you don't, often you'll find that the wall gets higher with each attempt. Influencing a market, on the other hand, is more of a hill than a wall. You can make progress, one step at a time, and as you get higher, it actually gets easier. People in the market talk to each other. They are influenced by each other. So, every step of progress you make actually gets amplified. Question 3. What sort of measurable progress am I making? If you're trying to succeed in a job or a relationship or at a task, you're either moving forward, falling behind, or standing still. 
To succeed, to get to that light at the end of the tunnel, you've got to make some sort of forward progress, no matter how small. Too often, we get stuck in a situation where quitting seems too painful, so we just stay with it, choosing not to quit because it's easier than quitting. That choice, to stick with it in the absence of forwarding progress, is a waste. It's a waste because of the opportunity cost, you could be doing something far better, and far more pleasurable, with your time. Measurable progress doesn't have to be a raise or a promotion. It can be more subtle than that, but it needs to be more than a mantra, more than just, surviving is succeeding. The challenge, then, is to surface new milestones in areas where you have previously expected to find none. Conclusion. You're astonishing. How dare you waste it? You and your organization have the power to change everything. To create remarkable products and services. To over-deliver. To be the best in the world. How dare you squander that resource by spreading it too thin? How dare you settle for mediocre just because you're busy coping with too many things on your agenda, racing against the clock to get it all done? The lesson is simple, if you've got as much as you've got, use it. Use it to become the best in the world. Decide before the race the conditions that will cause you to stop and drop out. You don't want to be out there saying, well gee, my leg hurts, I'm a little dehydrated, I'm sleepy, I'm tired, and it's cold and windy. And talk yourself into quitting. If you are making a decision based on how you feel at that moment, you will probably make the wrong decision. If quitting is going to be a strategic decision that enables you to make smart choices in the marketplace, then you should outline your quitting strategy before the discomfort sets in.